You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. This is Across the Romaverse. Sean and Steve with you here for episode 53. Sean and I weren't really expecting to record this weekend. Uh, we had touched base a couple days ago. I told him I was going on vacation this coming week, and we'd touch base when we got back. But Roma being Roma, news is flying in fast. Uh, big news, Sean. Uh, the Jekko departure looks like this time it's actually happening. So how are you on this Sunday? I'm good. I'm good. I, I was very surprised to hear about it yesterday because it's it's not every season we hear it popping up in August where Sky Italia are, are reporting on it during the evening saying that Jekko is talking with Inter Milan. So this one feels a little bit different. Yeah, this one feels like it's for real this time, I think. Uh, you know, we've seen him linked, I think it was Chelsea a couple of years ago in the winter. Uh, Juve last summer almost happened. We've seen Inter a couple of times, even when Conte was there. And now this time with Inter, uh, it seems like it is happening. So we'll get into Jekko and some of the other updates in just a bit on the Mercato. Uh, also, you have a little bit to fill us in on the Roma women. But uh, before we do that, the Roma men played yesterday in Spain. Uh, they fell to Real Betis 5-2 in their final friendly against, I guess you could say, notable opposition. I know they do have a friendly against uh, one of the teams from, I think, one of the North African nations this week, but, you know, not really a name brand team. So uh, first loss under Mourinho yesterday, but it certainly was not your typical friendly. I know it was a cup of sorts. They called it some like unbeatables, unbeatables. cup or something. Uh, yeah. Roma was certainly beatable, but not all on their own <laughs> accord because the referee, in my opinion, was absolutely atrocious. Um, he was throwing yellow cards like they were candies starting in the first half at the Roma players. What did you make of the ref yesterday? I'm not going to disagree with you. It, it, I mean, I think I, I mentioned in the in our game thread that someone forgot to tell the referee that the game isn't about him. You know, he, he was like really the center of attention for all the wrong reasons. And uh, he didn't have any really real self-control over his emotions. It's like, almost like, seemed like really spiteful cards. Like, like you can't talk to me that way. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree. He's definitely the, the worst performer and, and the biggest performer of the game yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he threw a card at Pellegrini pretty early for descent, um, and that uh, is really what got the whole game really to a boiling over point in the second half because it was 2-2. Batiste scored a goal that the ball hit the crossbar and then rolled back onto a diving Batiste player. Clearly was a handball. Roma was incensed. There was no VAR yesterday. Pellegrini went back after the ref, got himself a second yellow and sent off. Then Mourinho, backing his captain, came onto the field in quite a fury and got himself, along with two coaching staff members, red carded. Uh, a little bit later was Mancini got his second and then Carzo Bromo finished the match with eight men. Um, so, I mean, you have to like the fire a little bit, but is it too much? Is it the wrong mentality? Or do you think it's the right amount of fire and Roma just kind of needs to harness it in the right way moving forward? For me, it's, it's too much. It's not, it's not even the fire. It's like you just melt down. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, the, the, the proof is in the results. You just lost the match five, two, and you ended up with eight men. And now there's even reports that some of those players, the players who were sent off might be suspended for the conference league game, which is a competitive game. So, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense to, to be doing that all season. Um, I, I think there's you know, everyone, every team is looking for that sweet spot between instinct and, uh, and interpretation, which is, you know, that, that middle ground is, is intuition where you, you, you sense the moment and you know what to do and you do it. But if you just go off instinct and, and just, you know, like, like I just criticize the referee for having no self-control. If, if our players do that and our, and our coach of all people who's pushing 60, you know, he's, he's meant to set the example and not just Mourinho, but two of his coaching staff members were sent off yesterday as well. Yeah. So six red cards in total for Roma. Um, you know, if, if, the, if the senior guys are, who are setting an example are doing this by losing their heads as well, you're not going to get anywhere. And, uh, you know, you lost the game 5-2 yesterday. So that's, that's really the, the proof is in the pudding right there. Yeah, you have to like the passion, even in a friendly that they cared enough to argue the handball and all that. Like, you know, friendlies in the past, you might have just said, oh, whatever, it's a friendly, it's a goal, whatever. But yeah, you do have to harness it. You know, you can't get to the point where you get yourself, especially if you're Pellegrini, a second yellow card for descent. Neither one was for a foul or anything. Um, so certainly needs to be harnessed. You got to like the fire that, you know, the, the team camaraderie, I guess. And But yeah, definitely needs to be harnessed uh, to some extent. But I guess lost in all of that was the fact that Roma's first goal was scored by Eldor uh, Shimoridov, our new signing. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, he was unfortunate not to score the second one, which was uh, a header off the crossbar in a corner that was tapped in by Mancini off the line. So he was pretty impressive yesterday from what I saw. I, I, I'm starting to see why Mourinho would like a player like him. You know, it was kind of what we figured that it was the work rate, the hustle, the pressing, but he finished that first goal clinically yesterday on a great back heel from Pellegrini, by the way, who had a couple nice little flicks on. He had he put Zaniolo in on goal, too. The goalie made a good save. So yeah. uh, pretty good match did, for those two. After the first goal, I, I honestly didn't know whether it was him or Zaniolo that scored it until they, like, they cut the close up and showed it was Eldor because uh, they, they look remarkably similar in the way they move on the pitch, um, Shomorodov and, and Zaniolo. So, uh, you know, I, I actually agreed with Bren beforehand when the signing was made that on one, on the one hand, the stats looked terrible. Mm -hmm. right? Like that, that really did not look good whatsoever. Even, even the stats we were praising him for in our last, last episode were deceiving because the success rate of like, he put, he puts in a ton of work and energy. Yes. But his success rate, even in, in the, in the stats where he does put in the work, he doesn't really have the results to show for it so far. And he's 26. So I agreed with him on that, but, I also said, and this is, this is before the signing happened, I said I was really excited to see what he could do because just looking at his highlights, I just had this like gut feeling that this is a player that I want to watch. You know, um, Really, when it boils down to it, it's about do you want to spend 
90 minutes every weekend watching this team next season. And with Eldor in the team, yes, I do. So I'm, I'm thrilled yesterday that he got, you know, what was nearly a brace. I don't mention he got a second goal, but um, he looked very lively. I was very happy yeah. to see it. Yeah, and I think he's riding confidence from last season, which is now, you know, he's even more confident probably making this move because we said in the last episode he finished the season for Genoa as Genoa started to fade toward the end of the season, five goals in their last six, including a brace against Atalanta and a half of football. So I guess that confidence is building. You know, we do see late bloomers. It's rare sometimes to bloom at 26, but if he's blooming at the right time, Roma could have found a, a good buy at 20 million. You know, it's not a cheap purchase, but by today's standards, certainly not expensive. Um, so. I, I don't have much else to say about that match yesterday. Do you have anything else you want to add, Sean, before we move on? It, it just feeds into my uh, fear that long-term, and despite what I'm about to say, I've actually spent the last week defending Mourinho because a lot of people are so quick to assign like what they're seeing on the, on the pitch to the coach. And I've, I've been saying all along, look, the players are the, are the, the people who are most responsible. Like they, They're the ones that have to turn it around. The coach can only do so much. And in the first year... I really don't expect Marina to be that big of a factor in terms of what goes right or what goes wrong because I think a coach needs time, right? But um, so I, I spent the last week like kind of like throwing out that disclaimer, like, uh, you know, trying to defend Mourinho. But nonetheless, I still do have this fear in the background after a match like this, especially that uh, long term we could turn into a real crybaby team. And yeah. all, all I mean by that is, you know, looking for the perceived sense of injustice in the game and crying about result at the end when really you could just save yourself the grief and like you said, keep your head and try and fight for the result. You know, I don't want us to turn into that team that just complains that things are unfair because no one cares when you lose. Yeah. You know, when you lose games, no one cares whether it was unfair or not. Yeah. It, it, it might, you know, it might go well with the fans for a match or two, if they really feel they were done unjustly, like yesterday yeah. probably would have had that feeling if it was a Serie A match, but it, you know, you can only be a crybaby for so long. I agree with you full, full on there. We don't want to be that team. And, and that's not the mentality what we want Mourinho to instill. So Sean, uh, the Roma women also have been playing lately. I'll let you fill us in on what happened with them because you and Bren are our, our women's, you know, connoisseurs, so to speak. So go ahead and tell us about the, the women's side. Yeah. The Roma women put themselves in the Amos French cup, which is only its fourth edition of the, of the tournament. So we won't pretend like it's a, you know, long established tournament, but it's always traditionally been played by Europe's best. You can't say the world's best because in women's football, it's different. It's a different picture. You have to, when you talk about the world's best, you really have to take into account United States. They have a hell of a league. Um, Australian football as well is, is up there as, as one of the world's best. And then all the parts of Scandinavia and the Nordic, Nordic countries as well. But um, Europe's best certainly always compete and compete in Amos French Cup. And this year, it was between Roma as Coppa Italia winners, uh, Lyon as like five-time Champions League five, uh, winners until last season when someone else broke the spell. I can't I'm forgetting who won it last season. Um, uh, Barcelona won it last season. And uh, who else was there? There's Bayern Munich again, a heavy Champions League club. And who was the fourth one? Uh, oh yeah, PSG. PSG. Roma. Roma beat Roma beat PSG um, in the, in their first match in the French Cup. Is it technically a semi final? But really, it was the first game, and uh, the goals were so good that I, I even saw Steve retweet one of them on, on Twitter. Yeah, actually. the Juliano one was very impressive hit. Yeah, only only the second minute of the game, Manuela Juliano, Roma's number ten, strikes a looping ball from outside the box, uh, unsavable, unsavable, like dipped under the bar. That's a perfect moment. Nothing the PSG keeper could do about it. 
put Roma one one nil up ahead on the on the on the tie. Sorry, in the game. Uh, but one minute later, <laughs> one minute later, PSG equalised from a corner. Uh, some pretty poor, poor marking by New Siling, uh Lucia de, de Guillermo for Roma has to be said. But uh, in the second half, Roma came back for a familiar face, their top scorer, Anna Maria Sertorini, on the break, stop and go. Like put, hit the brakes on as soon as she hit the, the penalty area and just put a near post finish right past the PSG keeper. And that, you know, that result was big. I mean, it, it may be preseason, but that is easily the toughest team that Roma have ever faced because Juventus don't get to the latter stages of the Champions League every season. They're, you know, they're out by by the first knockout round, more or less. You know, Italian football is, is way behind. Um, the other European leagues in this in this side of the sport. So that was definitely Roma's toughest opponent until the Amos French Cup final two days later, where they got a beating by Bayern Munich 4-0. Uh, it was a respectable game until the 70th, 70th minute or so. Roma were losing 1-0 up until that point. They conceded a penalty in the second half that uh, uh, Alison Swaby uh, made some contact on Bayern striker Damjanovic in the area. It was, a, it was a, one of those soft penalties, but it was given in the end because Bayern were you have to say we're dominating the match until that point. Um, so it's one nil to the 70th minute with an unlucky penalty. But Bayern have uh, only a week to go until they kick off their their league season. Roma have uh, more weeks to go until they kick off Serie A. So naturally, Bayern were in better match fitness going into the game, and they were just a stronger team overall by by far. You know, even more so than PSG, the strongest opponent that Roma have ever faced in their club history. So. The last 20 minutes weren't weren't so good to see, just goal after goal after goal. But 4-0 was the final result. Uh, Roma Roma didn't win the Amos Cup, but still did themselves more more than justice uh, this preseason. And you know, if you can if you can hang with if you can beat PSG and then hang with Bayern for 70 minutes, you can definitely take on Serie A's best. And I think that's what they're walking away from this preseason with uh, family in their heads and their hearts. Um, some injury news, Lucha de Guillermo, the new signing, dislocated elbow in that PSG game. Alola Malazzo, Roma's uh, front man or front player, is still out with a positive COVID test. So she's missed the entire preseason. And it's Valeria Pedrone, the new signing, who's uh, really leading the front line and going into the, in the new season. And then we're still waiting the confirmations of potential new signings, Barini and Taisa, both Brazilian internationals, yet to be confirmed. We'll, 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 uh, we'll you know, we'll give you news on that when it when it becomes official um but yeah now steve i know you want to move on to the mercato updates in general uh being as we still have actually a piece of rumor women's news i'll just announce that before i let you take it away uh today 17 year old slovenian complete striker nina kashbar was confirmed as roma woman's latest signing and we're going to have a, a piece on her what well, it's a little bit of a spoiler but we're going to have her in our under 23 countdown for the Roma woman this coming week, and she really does look like a potential game breaker. When you see the physique on this on this woman at just 17 years of age and the pace, you know, uh, she really does look like she can do it all. Honestly, uh, we don't know whether she's going to be thrown straight into the senior team this year or maybe given a bit of a spell at Primavera football level. But it's definitely an exciting. We've got her highlights video coming up, and it's it's an exciting, uh, you know, little like skill set that she that she brings along to the to the pitch. Um, but there was more news, Steve, on the on the men's side of things today, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Matias Vina of Palmeiras finally made official after his COVID quarantine today. It's been you know about two weeks since we knew he was coming. Uh, the final numbers I saw were 13 million euros plus bonuses. Not quite sure what those bonuses entail, but um, it's good to see that he's finally going to be with the club as they return from their training in Portugal. 
Uh, I don't know if he'll, we'll see any action this week in their friendly. I think the friendly's midweek. Maybe they can get him a few minutes, start to acclimate him with the team. Um, and then, you know, he'll work his way into the side as the probably the starting left back for the most part. So uh, good to see that become official. Um, we'll have my piece that I wrote about him coming up. Uh, I know at the beginning of the week, Bren said we were holding it until uh, this move was made official, looking at, you know, what he does well based on the numbers and things like that. Um, and then also, obviously, the big news, the reason why Sean and I decided to record this episode today before I go away is that Ed and Jekko, uh, latest reports I've seen is that he's agreed on personal terms to a two year deal with Inter. Nothing official yet, but that those are the rumors about six million per season, uh, slight pay cut from his Roma contract of seven and a half million. Um, you know, if he comes off the books, it's good for Roma in the sense that they're saving a lot of money, but it does leave a hole up front potentially. So uh, a lot of names have been linked with Roma uh, over the course of not even 24 hours, uh, really. Um, you know, some of the usuals, Andrea Bellotti, uh, um, we have Scamacca, uh, Sassuolo, Icardi, who's still with PSG and actually scored a goal for PSG, as they saw. Uh, Asmoon of Zenit St. Petersburg, the Iranian, who was linked a few weeks ago. Apparently, his move to Leverkusen broke down, so he's linked again. I saw Bren mentioned uh, Lacazette. The Frenchman, um, Tammy Abraham has been linked, who's also been linked with Atalanta. And then um can't remember his first name, but Isaac of Sweden. Nice. Uh, yeah, also linked recently. I even saw a Danny Olmo link today, which doesn't make the most sense to me because he's not really an out-and-out striker. But lots, sense, but I'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> lots of names being thrown out in the Romaverse, so to speak. So, Sean, any of those names strike your fancy? Please sign Danny Olmo. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Mauro Icardi, all, all, all the names are like uh, unrealistic and unreachable. Yeah. Apart from Skamaka, I like him as well. Yeah, I wonder how realistic that is. I know that Inter has also been linked with him uh, with a potential loan move because I know they have Pinamonte going out alone and, and another youngster, uh, Satriano, going out alone. So they would be looking at a potential move. But I don't think if Jekko's their choice that Skamaka also comes in because I think they'd want a more... Um, out and out number nine who can start for them with Jekko being the backup. So I'm not sure. We'll see if they actually pursue Skamaka. Skamaka to me is, is certainly the play. And so is Abraham and Isaac, those players too, because they're on the younger side. Like if you're looking at a three-year window for Mourinho to win something, I think those are the younger, more high ceiling players Roma might look to. But if you're looking for a guy who can make an impact now, it seems like the Belotti, Icardi, Asmoon, Lacazette types would be the more uh right now moves to me because yeah. of the age and but like you said some of those moves seem financially unrealistic even getting Jekko salaries off the books Icardi commands a higher salary than that and some of these other guys what are the transfer numbers that these clubs are going to be searching for it, it, so that's gonna cr create quite the conjure I'd imagine I, I think I think the other thing that really stands in Roma's way as far as this Kamaka route is that it's Genoa and they have uh done so many deals with Juventus over the last few seasons that Juve really have that club by the balls. Mm. So, um, you know, if, if ever, like, Genoa needs to pick up the phone line and say, hey, you know what, we need uh, another FFT-busting deal, you know, they, they forcefully have to phone up Juve and ask them what they want to do first. So, really, in that sense, Juve have first pick. Um, if Juve wants Gamaka and they fancy him as, like, one of their future prospects, then they'll have him. But if they don't want him bad enough, then Robert could be in there. Well, actually, he's owned by Sassuolo. Uh, Jenna was a loan move oh, last year. Well, same, yeah. same story. Same, same story. Same story, because Sassuolo also have a number of you know dodgy deals they've done with Juve. So, yeah. Roma's done quite a bit of business with Sassuolo, but not recent. More like four or five years ago, the Pellegrini loan yeah. and some of those guys. I think Politano yeah. was originally a loan there. So, 
who knows, maybe it might be easier to deal with them than Genoa if Roma do fancy Skamaka. I know the incident with his father might leave a black mark on his name a little bit at Trigoria, but that player wasn't involved, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I know uh, Jody, one of our listeners, made a joke yesterday during the match that his father would have been a perfect for, you know, yes, they could have busted up the uh, referee's car maybe after the match, <laughs> but... <laughs> But lots of names. I'm sure the, the rumors will swirl over the next few days. And hopefully by the next time Sean and I record, uh, you know, about a week or so, we'll have something concrete to report and talk about. But it, it Sean, would be, it would be Ed and Jack still being a role player. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's what one of our <laughs> listener questions we'll get at in just a few minutes. But uh, if Jacko does leave, what, do you, what would you say his Roma legacy is at this point? I hope it's good because he deserves full respect. You know, I, I, it, it's a bugbear of mine that the foreign players never really get as much props as, uh, you know, the Roman-born players at Roma. But as, as a captain, as a, as a stalwart, as a figurehead, as someone who uh, came into the club, uh, maybe not necessarily expecting to like, know whether his role was to be an out-and-out striker or to be, you know, more of a complete forward, ready to embrace a club that is so used to playing false nine football, you know, it's in their DNA. Um, you know, he embraced both roles over different seasons and he did both of them very well. And he was surrounded, for the most part, by, um, you know, ha- having made space as a false nine, you know, create space for, you know, his wide force to run inside behind him. He was surrounded by teammates that really weren't top notch. You know, whether you talk about uh, Stefan Asharari or Diego Perotti, um, or or the younger names like Zaniolo, Cliver, you know, under un- unproven names. You know, he was not, he was never really surrounded by teammates that were. Uh, were ready-made, you know, or, or mm-hmm. at a standard that he was used to playing at, other than arguably Mo Salah, who even then when he was signed was, you know, he had a lot to prove at the, at the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's, he's been asked to, to put in a ton of work to, to help this club develop, and he's, he's always answered the call at every step of the way. Yeah, I, I hope the legacy in the end is positive. I know there's a lot of Jekko haters at this point because he is past his prime making a lot of money. They do want him to leave. And the, the reasons they want him to leave, I think, for the most part, are justified at this point in his career. But the six years he was here, you know, top four, I think, all time in Roma's goal scoring list. Uh, top, you know, when he was three. Top, three. top three, when he was signed, he was probably the biggest signing of the, the you know, past 10 years or so, I'd imagine, based on name brand and where he came from. And you know, they really got him for a bargain, and he's... You mean it, you mean it wasn't Steven Azzotti? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really got him for a bargain. Under 20 million, one of the arguably top strikers in Europe. And his second season in Rome, he was one of the top strikers in Europe, won a golden boot So uh, yeah. in Serie A. So certainly should have a, a legacy that's more positive in the end. But you're right, being a foreign player, it's a little harder to earn that reputation than a Roman-born player. Uh, but certainly one of the best players in, in Rome in the last decade or so, um, probably in my time as a fan in the last 15 years, I would say that he's one of the best players I've seen come through. So hopefully he leaves on a positive note. I know he's, he's pretty attached to the club from what I've seen. I mean, he's turned down moves in the past when Roma were floundering and he, he could have gone. So, um, you know, I think overall positive. He could turn down this move as well. So we shouldn't really like talk as if it's a eulogy just yet yeah yeah so this is a if he leaves legacy we'll see but on that note we'll take a quick commercial break uh and then we'll be back with your listener questions all right welcome back to across the romaverse uh sean and steve here still and we're going to dive into a bunch of listener questions we had uh bren put out a tweet this morning you know eliciting a lot of questions about the mercato for the most part with the jecko move a lot of people had questions on that uh, so we'll get into those and uh, we'll try to answer them as best we can. And then we'll see uh, 
if our answers turn out to be correct in the end, if Jekyll goes, he doesn't go, whatever happens. But um, Sean, the first one we have for you, and this is actually before we get to Jekyll, this is on Shamoradov. We have a question from at Red Broad, and he asked, honest thoughts on the Shamoradov uh, deal and what a goal return this season might look like. What would you say would be a good goal return from him this season? Uh, anything over 15 goals is going to be good because that's better than what we used in the last few seasons. So that, that would be a success. And uh, but my honest thoughts were what, what I shared beforehand, which is that, like, honestly, at the time they were signing him, I felt like I, I couldn't justify not just the money, even though I'm used to Roma overpaying for players, but, you know, just, just statistically it was hard to understand what exactly they had in mind signing this player. Uh, then one of our foreign members, Asta Pastor, pointed out that it's hard to look at stats for a player who's, who's previously played on a very counter-attacking side like Genoa because mm -hmm. the numbers end up all over the place. Like the, the, the game approach like differs, it varies wildly, uh, you know, depending on the opponent Genoa is facing. So um, yeah, that, that's why it was so hard to, to really say honest, like, you know, take an honest point of view and say, well, this is what Roma is signing, you know, Eldor for. This is you know, plan A, plan B, plan C. It just looked like a raw project that you know you, you, they were just like they're looking to mold into something now, like give them a definitive path from now on. Uh, Rome is not really the most stable environment to give anyone a definitive path, but if they want to do it, go ahead. And uh, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm very excited uh, from the moment I saw his highlights package. I was very excited to see what he could put together in a Roma jersey. Yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on how he's used. You know, if if he turns out to be the main striker. 15 goals is certainly within the realm of possibility, I think, based on what we saw yesterday. But if Roma bring in a more proven number nine and he ends up playing the wing a little bit, uh, maybe behind the striker a little bit, maybe as a second striker from Reno changes things up, maybe 10 to 15 is more realistic. So I think it depends on who Roma brings in if Jekko does go too. But, um, you know, we'll maybe in another week we could give a more definitive prediction on his goal scoring uh, when we start like a season preview. But um, yeah, I think 10 to 15 and anything over 15 would be a, a heck of a bank for the buck, I think, for him, for a somewhat unproven player. Yeah. So speaking of Shamordoff and Jekko, um, at Andrew Button asked, is, Jek is the Jekko replacement on the team in Shamordoff and are three strikers really necessary? And piggybacking off that, Pietro Rizzo uh, asked, if Jekko does leave, should the club just wait out and rely on Eldor and Borja and just because they might be in a better position come January next summer? What do you think? I think Pietro Rizzo makes a good point. You know, if 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 you're if you're really confident that the team you have right now is capable of fighting for top four, then I would wait it out until January or next summer because then you have the luxury to say, hey, you know what, we'll just wait till the market gets easier for us and, and we have more options. But if you don't feel like, if honestly, if Pinto and Mourinho, it's very possible that they, they don't feel that they have the right team in place right now, then you have to act now. If 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 a player comes becomes available that you feel can increase you know push the bar so um it's really about how the club see themselves at the moment and we we don't know what that is uh, personally i think that this team is top six only um i, I would prefer them not to try sign a striker just for the sake of spending money you know if, if it's going to be a striker i really want it to be someone who i'm fully confident can like you know really blasting the goals or 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 not i don't really i don't really judge strikers by goals mm -hmm. like if it was someone who could um you know hit hit defenders on the break brush past them come up with calm finishes like zaniolo and eldor have shown they can do so far i'd love i'd love a, a trio of three players like that you know just someone who could complement 
Zaniola and Eldor like that and just hit mm-hmm. teams on the break. Even just smash and grab victories all next season. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Pietro makes a great point about, you know, should we just wait till we're in a better financial situation? You know, it helps that Jekko's $7.5 million salary will come off the books. That's, that's a win right there. If they could move Olsen and maybe a couple other players, the financial situation already gets much better this summer in terms of salaries. So we'll see where those other guys move, if that affects the Mercato as well. Um, I don't know if I consider Shimordov already as Jekko's replacement because I'm not sure if they see him necessarily as an out-and-out striker. I think that's the whole thing. I, I view Shimordov right now as kind of a forward who can play across the front three, um, yeah. and they might be looking for more of a, a striker profile. But I agree. It, don't just sign someone to sign someone. Like, don't just go and buy, like, I'm, I'm just going to, I don't dislike him at, in any way, but Met, Mattia Destro. Like, don't just go buy Mattia Destro just to say we signed <laughs> another striker, you know? Like, at this point, he's not moving the needle, you know? Um, you want someone who's going to move the needle in, in the goal scoring department. And I think that's important that they uh, buy someone who can do that. And that's why I don't necessarily view it as three strikers. Borja is a striker to me, and then maybe they bring in a second striker. But I think Shimordov offers more flexibility than just being a, a three strikers on a team that utilizes one in the current formation. I, I'd really like it if tomorrow Destro gets linked with Roma because of because of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, him and Shimordov played together last year. Maybe there's an understanding. There you go. <laughs> I know Bren would probably like him to come back. I know Bren was a big fan back that's in true. the day. Um, so uh, Muhammad gave us more of an opinion than a question. Muhammad, uh, and you can follow, find him uh, at Muhammad 90015489. Uh, and he said Pinto should sign a new striker first, and then he can allow Jekko to move. So clearly Muhammad thinks we need another striker before Jekko moves. Uh, also, Lupo Monaro 16 uh, said, as much as I hate dealing with Cairo, if Jekko leaves, Belotti seems the most desirable option. I know we, can out, we can't outbid Atalanta, but it may come down to players added. So Thinking about our under-23 type players, Sean, because you just did the honorable mentions, I feel like those would be the kind of players used as a make-weight. Could you mm. see Roma using any of those guys that were like in the honorable mention uh, section as maybe a make-weight in a loan or even a sale with a you know repurchase clause maybe or something? Uh, are we talking about purely strikers or just any, any youth? Any, any of our youth that maybe could use playing time elsewhere that maybe could go to like a Torino in a Belotti deal as like a make-weight. Yeah, well, I think we, we've already seen names like but they didn't they didn't make our honorable mentions, but there was Tommaso Milanese, mm-hmm. um, who's been you know linked with basically moved out of the club. This summer is actually a summer where they're having a full like well not a full but a big clear out of the under nineteen team because uh, a lot of the players are of that age where mm-hmm. I, if they stay at the club they're going to be registered of rage next year, um, and a lot of this has come to, come about because of the pandemic um, and how that put a suspension on. The season two season goes a long story but um a lot of names are, are looking to get uh sent elsewhere so yeah definitely that's a possibility yeah i think i think it's certainly a possibility um the one guy who i think may have played his way into a role on this team depending on what happens to the mercato is bove i was pretty impressed with bove in the midfield yeah. yesterday with that 50 yard switch he had out too i think it was mikatarian was pretty impressed for el shirari but um yeah i could certainly see them throwing you know, maybe a Chiervo or somebody like that, even if it's on a loan, just to lessen the financial burden on a, on a purchase from like a Torino or something. But uh, last I saw the financial demands from Torino, I just saw right before we came on, are apparently to the point where Roma doesn't want to deal with Torino. So maybe our Belotti dream that we've had for a while, especially me, uh, could be dead in the water before it even starts, just because Cairo is a pain in the ass. 
As far as forwards go, that Torino would never take a forward of us because they have uh, Vincenzo Milico, their forward, yeah. who's uh, up and young, coming like their, their next, you know, bright star. So they don't want to, you know, mess his development up by putting in someone uh, of his age group in to compete with him. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then just at Jasjeet Walia three, he came out with a few questions. This was his first one. He said, "Don't you think Jekka will stay? Give him Mourinho likes him, and if Roma try." To stop him, they could stop him. Uh, also, would it be beneficial for Roma selling Jekko, uh at 35 years and seven million salary for Belotti? So he he wonders if maybe Roma might try to keep him because Mourinho wants him to stick around. Uh, but I think it's more beneficial that they clear the books. What do you think? Uh, I don't know, but like the impression I get is that Mourinho and Pinto are very much improvising as things go along because mm-hmm. this is only you know this is this is the first summer we've had Mourinho at the club. Uh, I think the history of Mourinho is like he doesn't, you know, like he he bides his time. He, you know, he he will wait. He'll he'll find out about the team first, and uh, then you know, second summer comes around, and suddenly he has like real big demands that he wants to make of you. But for now, he's probably been told realistically that look, uh, this is a summer where we need to clear the books, and we've got you know option A, option B, option C of how to go about that. And if option A doesn't happen, then we've got to move on to the alternative. Um, so I think I think Mourinho and and the club would be prepared for anything. Um, I don't think it'd be a disaster if Jekyll goes. I mean, honestly, like I said, I'm a big Jekyll fan, but last season was the first season where he was not the same Ed and Jekyll anymore. Yeah, um, just physically didn't have it. So I, I think it's a very justified move if 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 Roma, you know, say good, say farewell to him. But as for would it be beneficial to replace him with Belotti, mm-hmm. I I felt it was, but now I don't know. I'm not like I, I'm not going to die on the hill for Belotti. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'd be happy to see him at the club, but I also understand there are plenty of reasons why it wouldn't happen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the way he plays the game. I think he would be a, a Mourinho striker to to the T in terms of his work rate and everything else, being a, a able to hit goals on the counter and things like that, like he's done at Torino a bunch. But yeah, you're not going to go overpay for him with a year left on his contract to Cairo, right. who's been an absolute thorn in Roma's side for years now. I don't think that, I think that may be the main reason why it doesn't happen, even though I think on the surface, he seems like the like most logical candidate based on the fact he plays in said, yeah, he shouldn't be overpriced because of his contract situation, but it, it, he is turning out to be overpriced. So that could yeah. certainly kill that move. Um, at Plum Pickens asked, what role does Inter want for him? Meaning Jekko, they don't actually want him to replace Lukaku, do they? And it's funny <laughs> enough, <laughs> Because that was uh, a question I had actually, um, David DMC from Serpents of Madonina, our sister site on the SB Nation uh, network. I he asked a funny question, which we'll get to at the end. But I asked him like, "What is the feeling of Inter, you know, people on Jacko?" And he said, "Obviously, there's a lot of disappointment over losing Lukaku, which is obviously understandable. But a 35 year old Deco doesn't excite anyone. But as long as he's there for depth, he's okay with the signing." And, um, you know, there has to be an actual replacement for Lukaku as well. So the way I see it, too, I would say from an Inter standpoint, Jekyll can't be your starter if you're defending a Scudetto, if you really think you can still defend it, even with the losses. But um, I, hopefully that answers the question from Plum Pickens, because we got an actual Inter response. I, w- I, would, I would just... <laughs> I would love to see Inter play on the break next season with just the fullback running down and 35-year-old Jekko. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that won't last a week. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? It's a good question, Plum Pickens. I don't have an answer. I was going to try and look it up to see if anyone else did. Uh, Steve found one from our sister site, so I'm, I'm grateful for that because I don't have an answer. I can't 
put it in my head how Simone Inzaghi would have an Injeco slot into his brand of football. So I, I really yeah. don't know what the answer is there. Thinking about the way Chiro Immobile played for Lazio, I can't see Dzeko doing the same things in the same kind yeah. of setup for Inter. Not at 35 years old, uh, yeah. just kind of running onto balls and poaching goals. Uh, they've been heavily linked with Duvan Zapata as their apparently first choice replacement. We'll yeah, see if they can... That makes sense to me. Yeah. If they can get him away from Atalanta, it might make a lot of sense in terms of style of play. So we'll see what happens with Dzeko as the backup. Um, you know, at Marco Kokonen. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, said Roma will release Eden after they found and secured a replacement striker. Inter wants to close the deal by Tuesday, though. Who do you think will bend? Will this deal also collapse? And will we have another year with a seven and a half million pissed off bench warmer? Uh, <laughs> Tuesday is a short. If, if Inter truly want to close by Tuesday, Sean, uh, that, that's tough for Roma to find and secure a replacement by then, if, unless Pinto really has a target that he's kind of been checking in on maybe for mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks, anticipating something. Yeah. Uh, I, this is an easy question, though. That Roma have less money. Roma are the smaller club. So if anyone's going to bend, trust me, it'll be Roma. Inter, yeah. Inter will move on easily to other targets. They they have the Lukaku money to to be able to take the show in this one. Yeah, and I think having Shamord off already uh, might make this more feasible to bend to Inter. And then, you know what? If we got to roll with that this year in Mourinho's first year, maybe we roll with it and we see where it goes. If we're really thinking about a three-year plan, might as well get Shamord off the minutes if you can't secure someone else, I guess, right away. Or you try to bide your time the first couple of weeks and get somebody by the end of the Mercato. Um, moving on to a different position, uh, asked by at and hens, any plans Roma signing a new right back as a backup of Karsdorp? He, he thinks Reynolds <laughs> is not ready yet. I, mean, I have... I, I... I agree. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was just going to say I haven't heard anything yet, and you can now weigh in on Reynolds. No, I, I agree with the second part. Reynolds isn't ready, but how do you get a player ready? You have to play yeah. him. Mm. You know, that's, <laughs> there's, there's no way around that. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, you, you play him in, in games where the opposition doesn't give you so many concerns that you know someone like Brian Cristante or Jordan Vertu could be asked to cover mm-hmm. as like a makeshift right back when, when Reynolds is running forward. So you give Reynolds less to worry about and give him more to focus on and find confidence with. But at some point you have to play him. You know, that's why I agree. That's why I rate coaches who, who, who do try young players because they take that risk. You know, you, you, there's no safe way around it. You can't just like coddle someone in the youth ranks until suddenly they're a world beater. It doesn't happen like that. Um, and the, my answer to the first part is the same as Marco's question before. Roma are a relatively big club, but not big enough that they could sign two starting right backs and have yep. Brian Reynolds as their third third choice backup. You know, it's cast yeah. up and, and Reynolds. That's it. Yeah, especially without Champions League football, there's no way you're signing yeah. two two starter caliber players in the Conference League. You should hope that that's the perfect situation to play Reynolds. Maybe exactly. play him against Salernitana in the second match. If you play Karsdorp in the second uh, Conference League match you know, to try to get into the group stage proper in that tournament, like a Slurnitana might be a good matchup. Those kind of games. I mean, I remember I looked back at my interview with Brian Sharetta uh, when we were doing the podcast when he first came over. And um, one thing I remember him saying was that, you know, he's a guy who follows MLS as an American soccer writer, said that Reynolds is a fast learner. Reynolds has not been playing right back for very long. He started as like more of an attacking midfield type player and shifted back when he was like 16 years old. So he's still relatively new to defending, but he's mm-hmm. he's got that pace to push the right flank when in possession. He, he's really good at playing one-twos. And I, physically, he seems like he could turn into a good defender. He's got the physical attributes to do it. And I think with Mourinho there, 
you know, you try to mold him in those kind of matches, like you said, Sean, where he can not be overwhelmed by the opponent and he can, and he can learn. And um, Brian did say he's a fast learner. He matured pretty quickly in Dallas for a young player and yeah. won their player of the year his last year there. And I'll give you two examples. Um, Nicolas Agnolo, when he first started playing, did he look ready? Yeah. No, he was, he was well short in some areas, but luckily we, we had him in games where we didn't give up so much to the opponent that we could test him out and he could learn. And then <laughs> the most direct example, Rick Karsdorp, did he look ready when he first yeah. started playing for him? Yeah, look, it took him <laughs> a couple of years. Yeah. So you got you got to play them, you know. That's how that's how they get ready. Yeah. Um, another position, which is a position of big debate now, after the Granite Jaka move fell apart. So this is at Jazit Walia three again. Asks us which midfielder would be best for Roma, Zakaria, Coop Miners, or any any other, or do we just stand pat in the midfield? Uh, a lot of concerns with Diawara so far, and he didn't look very good yesterday. And we don't have yeah, a, a pure D mid. Uh, so what do you think of the midfield, Sean? I have to say, Diwara looked very good for most of the preseason. He didn't look good yesterday, but Mourinho, before the match, was very honest to say that they'd reached the part of the preseason where the entire squad was on its last legs. Mm. So that game was really treated as like, right, we'll play it, because obviously it's uh, it was actually a memorial competition for Luis Del Sol, who's a former Betis and, and Roma player, um, also a former Real Madrid player um, who passed away earlier this year. Uh, we'll play it, but we're really our minds is on just getting back to Italy and you know yeah. having some R and R. So it wasn't really a match where I would judge anyone, um, even Eldor, who you know had his great goals and stuff. It was great that he, he had a point to prove, but really it was it was a burner match. Um, that being said, you know it's kind of like the striker situation. I'd like us to sign a midfielder who um, can be a physical presence in deep midfield and uh, has enough. Like on the ball to actually break out of uh, of pressure and actually you know help us on the break. Um, Coop Miners looks very much like a guy like that. Mm-hmm. He can really like run through people. Um, anyone else I, that I've seen mentioned doesn't fit that mold. Other than guys who are arguably more offensive on paper, but I still feel they could they could play as a central defensive midfielder. Um, you know, like they start out deep and they run forward, like uh, guys like Renato Sanchez and um, Sabitza at Leipzig I know that those two those two guys might be too good to be taking a drop down to a non-Champions League club like Roma currently are but that's the kind of signing I'd want to see you know I want to see a signing of that caliber or all coop miners made I mm-hmm. don't want to see a signing made just for the sake of it personally. yeah I, I don't want them to sign a midfielder just to sign a midfielder um I think coop miners from from everything I've read and highlights I've seen seems like a, a good fit in that position, like you said, because he also for being a, a defensive midfielder that he's listed as at first when I saw the rumors and I saw the numbers I was like there's no way this guy's a pure defensive midfielder because his his goal scoring and his assist numbers were very high, but then he is a defensive midfielder by definition. So if Roma could make a signing like that, I would sacrifice a player like VR if we need the cash because I know that he is the guy who's kind of been rumored to be the sacrificial lamb if Roma have to make a move to bring in cash if he doesn't fit Mourinho's plans and you have to do it maybe you do it but yeah don't just sign a guy to sign a guy uh you know we also have only had Vertu half of a friendly so far we've only had Cristante for half of a friendly so far so those guys will get more minutes than we've seen them get in the 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 preseason Diawara's role will probably be decreased a bit if he is ineffective or maybe he was just tired yesterday like you said we'll see what Mourinho wants to do but I I in Roma's financial situation, you can't just bring in a seventh midfielder to bring in a seventh midfielder, you know? Exactly. Um, 
I'd also be curious to see if Bove or Darboe sticks around and one gets loaned out because it seems to me like Bove has kind of jumped ahead of Darbo, at least in yeah. in terms of Mourinho's mind right now. Yeah, Darboe has not had a good preseason in my, yeah. my point of view. Um, I remember the first game was against, I can't remember who, but it, like people were blaming Ibanez, Kumbula, and even Repatricio for that goal. Um, I mean, it was Debrechen, actually. Not the, not the first game, but the, the, the Debrechen game. Um, and uh, it was actually, for me, it was Darbo who was to blame because they they ran like three players into our, our area as an outnumber the three on two. And as the defensive midfielder, you got to realize when when they've basically outnumbered your, your center backs, you know, you got to come back and help out and mark. And Darbo was asleep. And even in that, in that game, in the first half of that game, Mourinho was actually... It was reported on the sideline that he, he actually shouted at Dabo, "Wake up, because you you know you you're just, you're passive right now." Um, so yeah, I agree with you that Dabo hasn't done himself justice this preseason. Whereas Bove, on the other hand, very yeah. much has. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be interesting. Maybe Darbo goes out on loan, and maybe Bove becomes the the fifth midfielder. Who knows if Roma brings someone else in? We'll see. Uh, still time in the Mercato. Uh, and then Jazzy Walia three again. He wanted to know any positions Roma still need to strengthen by and by signing which players. We talked about midfield. We talked about striker. Anywhere else you would like to see them strengthen, or you think we're standing pat could, elsewhere? Could do could do with a goalkeeper. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve is nodding. <laughs> Patricio Steve. had a had a, a rough start yesterday. Um, Steve, you know, Steve nodded on autopilot before realizing what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the goalkeeper is not coming in unless Robin Olsen is sticking around and uh, competing with Patricio. I, you know, hopefully. Let's be honest, it hasn't been a good preseason for Patricio so far. Has yeah, it? he's had moments where he's looked good. He made that really good save, I think, in the Porto match a couple a couple saves early on. He made a, a weird read on that second goal. I know it was like a cross shot. Nobody knew what it was. I don't know if the, the guy who shot it, the Frenchman that shot it. Um, Fakir. Fakir even knew what it was yesterday when he hit it went into like the upper corner but like patricio was like clueless on it so i mean but then on the goal that was a handball he made a really good tip to even get that ball off the crossbar in the first place so i mean he shows like these flashes but it's then he shows yeah, we, these we've been here before yeah Pal lopez had you know showed good things and then it's followed up by something that was totally yeah. avoidable you know so um we've really just made a lateral move and and you know after an older like, lateral move it seems exactly and, and you know, some people have justified that by saying that, okay, he's older, so it makes more sense team building wise in terms of you know mentoring Fusato, who speaks the same language. And in theory, I agree. But given that uh, Milan's keeper, Mike Magnan, came out last, uh, last week and said he turned down Roma to sign for Milan, then that just shows you that really Roma mm. didn't really have a long term strategy here. They just went through the list of keepers yeah. and said, okay, reproduce your will do. Find someone who will say yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where we are right now. Yeah. But, uh, sorry to, to get back to your question. Um, I, I honestly, at this point, I, I don't, I don't really care. I like, I, I think all positions are up for grabs. Like, as long as you sign someone who unquestionably raises the level of the team. That's yeah. Yeah, and I think the the simple answer is the two positions we've talked about most in this episode: striker and defensive midfield would be the ones they address if they address any. Uh, yeah. On the, on the way out, uh, you know, the, the disgruntled and non-playing players, as Jazzy called them, when will they leave? Uh, that, that's, I guess that's the million-dollar question, you know, because we're talking about Steven and Zanzi. We're talking about uh, Robin Olsen. We're talking about Pastore, who the other day said, you know, if we can't find a solution, we'll re-explore it in January. I'll just 
train by myself pretty much. So uh, how many of them do you actually see leaving? Do you see anybody go out the door? Honestly, when, when you count the total players, like disgruntled or not, the total players on the transfer list right now is 20 players. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I don't know. We don't have an answer to that question. But I, I just say don't don't scapegoat them. Um, you know, it's, it's really not. Like we say this often between us and the writing team. It's not the players' fault that they've been given the contract that yeah. they gave. It's, you know, hold the club responsible. The club knew what they were doing when they offered the contract. So yeah. it's Roma's, Roma's doing. Um, how, how do you feel, Steve, about the approach that Pinto slash Mourinho have taken this summer of isolating those players in training? I mean, I think in terms of if you want to get these guys to move, that's the way to kind of hammer home the point, I guess. You're not a part of this team. Like, let's find a solution between your agent and us. Let's find somewhere for you to go. But at the same time, if you're like Inzonzi or you're Pedro, like a veteran player, and you like life in Rome, maybe a year training uh, at Trigoria or six months training at Trigoria before something pops up in January, there could be worse ways to spend your time, I guess, so to speak, right? You keep yourself in shape. And you make millions of dollars and you live in a a pretty good city to live in, you know? So I can't blame them if they don't want to move to like the hinterland somewhere just to get out of Roma, you know? (laughs) Send you off to Siberia. Yeah. Yeah, But I I, I don't know if there's a right answer to this. That's why I'm asking you. Because let's say say the window shuts, they're still here, right? Um, Are you going to make them train apart the whole season? Because that's not Yeah, that's that's the other side of it. Do you bring them into the team at some point? Yeah. It's, it's, de- it's definitely not going to make them more sellable on, on the Mercato if they're just mm-hmm. you know, rotting away in isolation. So I, I don't know if there's a right way to go about it, um, but yeah. Yeah, do we see Pastore and Zonzi leading the Conference League charge? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> With Pedro at the, at the, there, the, in the attack. Ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're paying them, you might as well utilize them in some way exactly. to make, take, you know, rest the rest of your roster if you need to. But um and then there was a question from Colin Gallagy one, and he said, is there a way we can buy out contracts without paying the full amount? Like, is there a way to just say, Hey, Pedro, we know you're on this amount per year for two years. Can we pay you 75% now to terminate the contract? And would that be a feasible option? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm assuming in, in football, you can do that as long as the player and club agree to it. I know like in the NHL, for example, there's like a collectively bargained way to buy players out and how much it hits your salary cap. There's no salary cap in football. It's just a matter of what you can afford to pay. Uh, although apparently there's a salary cap in Spain now because of this mm. whole you know messy thing. Um, yeah, I, I did actually research this before we came on, and uh, I even looked up uh, an old old friend of mine. Well, actually, if you, if you ask him whether he knows me, he'll probably be like, "Who, who the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> I, knew, I, I knew him ten years ago, but it's Daniel Guy, um, who's released a number of books in here in the UK. And uh, I, like I said, ten years ago or so, over ten years ago now, I came to his office really begging for a job. And he was nice enough to give me a time of day. So I'll never forget that. Um, but yeah, looking at what he said about it, um, in football, yeah, mutual terminations happen all the time. But uh, it's really the, the player that has the power. Mm-hmm. And um, the only reason why a player of Pedro's age would go for it is if they feel they have a bigger market elsewhere. Yeah. So if they feel like they have uh, visibility waiting for them, going to like a team, even in a lower league, you know, that has like more fans ready to buy into them or somewhere in a foreign land, like, uh, you know, let's say Saudi Arabia, for example, where you have a, you know, a TV market pops up and they, they can get a great sponsorship deal there. Then if they, if they feel like their earning potential is, um, is more elsewhere, they will agree to that mutual termination. They'll say, look, I'll take a payoff and I've got this contract lined up tomorrow with, with you know, another club and I'll be off. Um, but 
short of that, the player will sit still because why yeah. would they willingly give up money? It's yeah. never going to happen. Uh, there, there are two examples of this, actually. Uh, last season, Mario Mandzukic at Milan. It's not, it's not a direct comparison because he was not a permanent signing for Milan. He was on loan. But he actually willingly gave, uh, gave up his wages while on loan to Milan and do- donated it to their charity because he was so unsatisfied with his performances for Pioli's Milan that he said, look, I haven't earned these wages and I'm just going to, you know, I'll give them back to the club just out of, you know, out of pride, basically. Um, that's a very rare scenario, but that was a lone player, so it's not really comparable. Uh, the second example is directly comparable. And Steve, I'll, I'll let you guess. I'll say, Steve, who, who do you think is Roma's best striker ever? Ever? Yeah. Um, geez, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how far back are we going here? <laughs> I'm not going that far back. Just who, 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 do you, who do you see often mentioned as Roma's greatest ever striker, even if it was just for one season? Um, Osvaldo Borrello. Are, are we going like? Uh, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Gabriel Batistuta. I, yeah. I thought I didn't know if you were being sarcastic. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, uh, this is a sincere question. So yeah, Batistuta has been involved in a. 20-year lawsuit against Roma because after you know he started to break down, he won a title, but his you know he had he came to the club with knee problems and all that. Uh, he went out into it didn't work out. He went out on loan to Inter, sorry, it didn't work out. Came back to Roma. Uh, the club really didn't know what to do with him, and he did actually get an offer from the Middle East to go play out there. And for some reason, I don't know why Franco Sensi was always a hardhead like this, but they wouldn't the Roma wouldn't let him go. And uh, Batistuta actually ended up suing Roma for loss of earnings because he could have actually earned you know, a ton of money out in the Middle East by signing for a club out there. And uh, Roma actually blocked that transfer. So, yeah, sometimes players do want to terminate the contract and they just want to move um, yeah. if they feel they can earn more money elsewhere. Yeah, and for Roma, if any of these guys want to terminate their contract, I think Roma would gladly take the loss uh, yeah. in the purchase price because they probably don't have much uh, purchase price less if, if, if you couldn't you know, get rid of the wages from the, the equation. Yeah. But um, I mean, Pedro was a free transfer, so you, yeah. you're losing nothing. Yeah, so you're losing nothing. But I don't think you also want to pay him 75% of his wages just to have him walk away and then go sign elsewhere and make money. And then you're still at like two and a half million euros go, a season. Go, go sign for Inter to replace Lukaku. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Jekyll-Pedro uh, combo up yeah. front. Counter-attack. <laughs> so a couple couple questions. Moving away from the Mercato, this is from Jody, um, who's at ANJody17, uh, frequent uh, listener and reader of our site and interacts with us on Twitter. He says, this is off topic, but I've always been curious about how CDT sustains themselves. Those server maintenances, time spent on researching, writing articles or recording pods with multiple crews around the world. What's the business model? model? Sorry for such a boring question. Um, I mean, I guess the simple answer would be that, you know, we're owned by SB Nation, which handles all the server maintenance and things like that. Bren, I give Bren a lot of question, excuse me, credit because he writes a hell of a lot of articles um, yeah. on a weekly basis, way more than Sean, Jimmy and I probably combined. Um, I think he, I've always suspected he gets paid more than us. Though. Yeah, I would suspect he does get paid more than us <laughs> as a site manager, more than the peanuts we get. It's more of a labor of love than anything. We do get a little money for it, but uh, definitely the hourly wage when you break it down between writing and recording and him editing the pods is 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 probably below minimum wage. So <laughs> no, yeah, it, it can't be seen as a salary. It's more like a freelance gig. Yeah, um, I'll I'll answer it because 
in case there's anyone listening who who could go on to become a writer or a sports writer or a freelance writer, I think actually working for Vox Media is better than you would imagine. Um, I remember last year, I think it was last year, I had, uh, I won't even mention his name, but it was someone from a, a freelance rubber site who tried to give us stick by posting this article from years back about Vox Media and how um, you know, people complained, went to court about uh, finally getting paid for work at Vox. And yeah, it did. It did have to go to court before we got, uh, you know, earnings that we get right now. Um, so that that's true. But really, if you break it down, someone running a WordPress site by themselves, reporting on on Roma, uh, you know, they they're gonna have to write like so many articles a day just to stay on top of the news. Mm-hmm. Between the four of us, we share that workload, and the the minimum word limit that we're allowed to get away with our contract per week is much less than what we actually do for the site. So it really is a labor of love, like Steve is saying, but when you, if you break it down in freelance rates in terms of uh, getting paid per word, we get paid above the, the industry average, considering that the minimum we're allowed to get away with versus what we're paid to do it. So I think it's a good step into freelance writing. It's not something that you want to end up doing for years and years and years. Like arguably we have been doing by now. Uh, we do it just because we, we enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's a good first step, I feel. Uh, the business model that Vox Media or SB Nation run off of is, uh, as far as I know, it's it's uh it's ad based you know it's advertising they yeah they put lots of ads through the site and uh, a bunch of bots visit our site every day and, and those bots click through it so ironically it's not really our readers who <laughs> who sustain the website um even though they do help because you know by coming back to the site and joining in the community every day you help the site stay up uh, high in the rankings on google whenever we report the news we're, we're often the first breaking site on google news so that's very it's a very good position to be in but it's really like bots that come in and scrape our articles and and repost them on YouTube as like audio content um, that click through end up clicking through the ads that really pay pay the bills apparently. Um, and then of course they got the new comment system that uh, is a huge money saver for Vox because you know people are complaining about the Z key going away, but that was costing the company so much bandwidth, so they had to get rid of it. Um, so hopefully that helps them stay afloat. But yeah, we get we get paid by ads and. Uh, Luckily, between us four, we, we love Roma enough that we we share the work. Yeah, and the fact that we get a little money for it without having to take money out of our pocket to run these servers or do anything like that, like an independent person might have to do, uh, definitely helps. We don't benefit from the ad, so to speak, like an independent person would if they are able to get a big following. But hey, we do it because we enjoy it. And we thank all of you for listening and reading and, and interacting on the forum and on Twitter and everything else, because that's what makes it enjoyable. Um, but Sean, one funny question, I guess we could say to finish the Q and a, uh, came again from David D from the Serpent to Madonina site. And, you know, that site and our site, especially Bren have written a lot of articles about Jekyll. I know Bren almost even write about the rumor yesterday. He started off his piece by saying, because he's done it so many times and it's, you know, it's like kind of like the boy who cried wolf, like, and it never happens. I think it's affected Jen, like Bren's perception of Jekyll. Like he can't <laughs> even enjoy him as a player. Yeah, because <laughs> he's been rumored to leave so many times and written those yeah. rumors. But David asks, what will we write about if the Jekyll and Andrew rumors finally end? Well, I guess for us, it'll be more rumors of who comes in to replace Jekyll. I, I would write an article about the best kits over the years that Jekyll would look, look good in, that he missed out on. Like how, how good we have looked in last season's Interkit, this season's Interkit, uh, last season's UV <laughs> kit. Um, what was that? Chelsea three seasons ago. Just compare Jacko and all the kits he's missed out on. That, that's the only <laughs> yeah. So just a lighthearted question to finish the pod. Uh, upcoming on CDT this week, 
it's going to be a lot of the preview work. Uh, last week, my goalkeeper preview went up. Your defense preview went up. Uh, I know some you have women's previews coming out with Bren. Uh, I know the midfield and forwards will be coming from Jimmy and Bren as well. For the men's team, you guys are doing the women's. We have the under-23 countdowns for both sides. Um, Sean had the honorable mentions come out yesterday, so the top 10 should probably start tomorrow, I'd imagine, along with my Vina piece. So a lot of stuff coming up. We'll also have our roundtable discussions. We're also going to try to bring Brent and Jimmy on for the first time all together for like a roundtable preview if we can get everybody together. We do try often, but they often say no. So yeah, there's just, we will try again, but uh, it, it might just end up being Stephen Sean again for you. Yeah. Um, I, I know that also this week, at some point, Brent has a feature coming out on Zaniolo and mm. what Mourinho might have planned for him. Uh, Brent will be diving back through the history books uh, to see how uh, how we could compare Zaniolo to his idol Kaka and to Mourinho's use of Diego Milito back at Inter. So will Zaniolo be played more as a attacker midfielder slash forward or will he be played as an out-and-out number nine? I certainly hope it's the latter, but uh, I, have, I have a feeling when Brent comes out with his article, I'm going to disagree with a lot of what he says because he, he focuses on Zaniolo not being able to do hold-up play and that's why apparently he feels like he shouldn't be a striker. I, I personally feel like I, I agree. Zaniolo shouldn't do hold-up play, and I don't think he should ever be a false nine striker. I think you just play him as an out-and-out striker, like like he saw yesterday. Like, did Zaniolo look like a winger or, or midfielder to you yesterday? He looked like a striker to me. Mm. So, yeah, that's a debate that will raise on in the future. <laughs> Maybe we'll get Brandon to come on, and you can you and him could debate. Yeah. I'll, I'll moderate that one. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again for listening. Thank you, everybody, who submitted questions and uh, gave us plenty to talk about this episode because it's been a slow new summer for the most part on the Mercato until recently. So this uh, helps Sean and I find some ideas to talk about. So we always enjoy the listener questions. I'm sure we'll bring them back more as the season starts going and we have like, you know, match-based questions to go off of and things like that. So Sean, anything you want to leave with the listeners with? No, I'm happy again. Thanks a lot for your questions because they took up the, the meat and bones of this episode and I'm very happy about that. So keep them coming. Yeah, so I hope everybody has a good week. Keep up with the site for any of the updates on the rumor mill. I'm sure Bren will be turning those out. He's he's good at turning those out quick when they pop up. Um, and then in about a week or so, we'll be back recording, hopefully with some uh, big news to share on the striker front or just looking at what the team looks like and uh, going with Eldor and Borja. We'll see. So we'll catch everybody again soon. 